You're listening to the Catholic Recon Podcast. Testimonies from Reverts and Converts with host Eddie Trask. Visit eddietrask.com for more information. Don't forget to share with a friend and leave a review. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Catholic Recon Testimonies from Reverts and Converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. Please remember to subscribe and share the videos and comment. It's greatly appreciated. This week's guest is, as you would say, Jim, I think we became brothers overnight. Uh, really, really amazing to have you here. Actually, let's just do that. I'll just say, Jim, welcome. First of all, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, Eddie, uh, you know, this is one of those those times in our life where uh, you can ab- absolutely see the Holy Spirit moving. Uh, we were we were introduced to each other electronically. We had, you know, a quick conversation and bang, we got into the depths immediately. That only happens when this is a God-ordained moment. And 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 this yes, you are my brother. I feel that way. Amen. Well, thanks again for agreeing to it. Let me, just so you guys all know Jim's experience. So on his website, integrityrestored.com, I invite you all to visit, and I am going to read this about about section uh, because I think it is incredibly valuable for setting up this conversation. So um, Jim O'Day is a senior executive with over 25 years of experience in development and executive management. He has been a leader in the battle against pornography in our homes, schools, and society, studying evidence-based and biblically correct ways to fight against pornography. He can help your organization, parish, or community fight the harmful effects of this. Jim views his whole life as part of God's plan for his current ministry. He has seen the devastating effects pornography has had on marriages, families, and our whole society. Rather than sit back and merely hope that this would go away, he decided to roll up his sleeves and work long hours to fight this mammoth industry. And then lastly, by the grace of God, he has seen marriages restored to true and beautiful trust and intimacy. He has seen priests become empowered to fight pornography in their parishes, and he has seen families saved from brokenness. I I just thought that was such a uh, succinct, beautiful way to frame what you do, Jim. And with that, if you if you can, maybe merge that with what how, how your journey began. <laughs> well, I started out like all of us as a zygote, and then Um, I was, look, I was and I am, uh, even though I live in the South now, uh, a New York City kid, right? I grew up in, I grew up in, in Queens, in New York City. Um, my parents were divorced when I was two. And, uh, you know, I didn't have much of a relationship with my dad, Eddie, and it, and it um, I would see him once a year. Uh, for a couple days when he was in town on business and then, you know, have a monthly conversation or whatever it was my mom insisted we do. Um, but I didn't have much of a relationship. I grew up, though, in a in a somewhat Catholic environment. Um, my mom, it was very important to her 
that myself and my sister went to Catholic school. So we went to Catholic grammar school. I uh, went to an all boys Catholic high school. And then I went to St. John's University where I actually lost my faith. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, so growing up, I was one of these, I was one of these guys that everybody always said, you know, Jimmy's a great guy. What a great guy he is. And boy, did, was I really good at putting on the mask. I could be that good Catholic boy, that altar boy uh, that everybody said, wow, what a great guy. And then I was convincing my buddies to steal the wine from the sacristy so we could go out in the back of the church and have a few sips. I was very good at putting on masks. I always held the doors for everybody in my apartment building. And, oh, Jimmy's such a great guy. Um, but why was I doing that? I was doing that to preserve the masks that I was wearing. So growing up without a dad, this is where God has an incredible sense of humor, right? Growing up without a dad, I, I, um, well, I, my idea of manhood was, was really based upon, um, characters, caricatures even. Uh, so rock music, musicians, um, movie and TV personalities, and then the wise guys in the neighborhood. Uh, if you if you're not from New York, you don't know what a wise guy is, uh, a mafia guy, right? The the kind of guys that ran the neighborhood. And so to me, that was my definition of a man. And as I got into high school and got a little bit older, I um I determined that in order to be a man, you had to do three things. You had to be able to drink more beer. Than the next guy you had to be able to fight better than the next guy and you had to be able to sleep with more women than the next guy wow talk about a warped idea of manhood not getting it at all but that was pretty much my high school experience uh and then i went i went off to college and when i was in college uh, I started working at nightclubs in New York City. And uh, this is where God's sense of humor is really going to kind of make sense to the listeners in a minute. Um, I start I started out working at the door and I'm working in one nightclub and club's not doing so well. And so the guy decides, you know, on Friday nights, we have to shake something up. We got to get people in here earlier uh, so that we could sell more drinks. And he says to me, you know, you got any ideas? And I said, yeah, sure. Why don't we do a mail review from 8 to 10 uh, before we let men in? We'll have the women all crazy. The guys will come in. He goes, that's a great idea. Who's going to do the dancing? Me. So I spent my college years on Friday nights working as a male stripper uh, in a small little club in New York City. And uh, God's sense of humor, right? Now I'm running a, a ministry in the Catholic Church 
uh, for the Catholic Church, for everybody, but specifically with Catholic teaching, um, to battle against that kind of mentality and philosophy. Could I do that if I didn't have this experience? I don't know. So fast forward, I'm 21 years old, and my birthday present is, honey, I'm pregnant. I don't know what to do. My girlfriend at the time, she says, honey, I'm pregnant. So even though I didn't have a great relationship with my dad, I knew I, I needed to speak to an older guy, somebody with some experience. Now, what do I do? Yeah. So I called my dad up and he said, how much? I said, what? How much what? How pregnant is she? No. How much for an abortion? How much money do you need? Oh, um, I don't know. I, I don't know about that, dad. I'll, I'll call you back. So I'm freaking out the next day. I said, I got to talk to somebody. And I called up an uncle of mine. Now, again, not close at all. Um, he said the same thing. How much you need? What's it going to cost? My God. Even as far away, Eddie, as I was from practicing my faith, from going to church, any of that, I knew somehow in my soul that that wasn't the path that I was supposed to take. And I'm blessed and happy to say, uh, September, Kim and I will celebrate 35 years of marriage. And my daughter, Jessica, uh, is 33 years old, going to be 34. And she's a gift to the world that if I listened to those two guys, wouldn't be here. And the world would be a sadder place because she's not here. She's married now. She's given me two incredible grandsons, identical twin boys. Um, and, and I also have another son, uh, another child, Jimmy, uh, who's 24 years old. And so you know, God had this incredible plan, and, and I was petrified at the time. But I just listened to that little voice. Thank God. Thank God. And, of course, we had my daughter uh, baptized. Uh, Kim and I weren't even married in the church. We were married on the courthouse stairs. And um, we kind of went along for a while. You know, we eh, maybe go to church on Christmas Easter, that kind of thing. Maybe if we didn't have other family obligations or something more fun to do. Sure. And um, fast forward um, till I was uh, in my late 30s. I'm 56 now, so probably just about 40 years old. Uh, I was working in the defense business as the vice president of sales and marketing and um, celebrating a big win with a customer and uh, was out with my boss. And, and, and he was a guy I would always describe as a religious dude. He was a very religious guy. And he would talk to me about 
he was Catholic. He would talk to me about the faith and it would come into all kinds of different conversations. And I would always just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm a good salesman. Leave me alone. And so we're out there celebrating, you know, and we probably have a, I don't know, $800 bottle of wine, something ridiculous. It was a big contract. And he said, he used to call me Jimmy as well. He said, Jimmy, the Lord wants me to say something to you. And I'm like, oh, crap. You got to be kidding me, man. Really? We're like having a good time here. We're celebrating. And he said to me, no, this is important. You have to know you're not a good husband. You're not a good father. And you're certainly not a good Catholic. Wow. Eddie, I got, as you can imagine, I got incredibly defensive. I went back to my old ways and I really argued with him. I got really upset. And I went up to the hotel room and thank God for the Gideons. I opened the drawer, I pulled out the Bible and I picked up a Bible for the, for the first time, probably since sometime in high school. And I did that whole stupid thing, flipping the pages. Okay, God, you want to talk to me? And I slam my finger down on Romans. And I start reading. And the next thing I know, and I don't know what happened to me, the next thing I know, I'm kneeling at the side of that bed and I am crying like a baby. It still brings tears to my eyes. I am sobbing. Because he was right. He was right. I wasn't a good husband. I wasn't a good father. And I certainly was not a good Catholic. I wasn't even Catholic. And I came home. I remember clear as day. I came home. It was a Thursday night, Eddie. Kim and I are laying in bed. And we're looking at the ceiling fan. You know, going around on the ceiling. Just spinning nice and slowly. And I am on fire, brother. I am. Everything's got to change, honey. We got to start going to church. We got to get married in the church. I have to go to confession. We got to do the sacraments with the kids. We got to. I'm just word vomiting every Catholic thing I know. <laughs> and you got to know my wife. She's also from New York. She's just laying there looking at the fan. She doesn't even turn to face me. And she just says quietly. Are you on drugs? Because who was this guy? Right? Who's this lunatic in my bed? And we started talking. And I talked about what happened to me with reading the Bible. And I talked about what Bernie had said. And it began a conversation. And Kim at that point was, she was baptized Catholic, but that's it no other sacraments. And um, we started exploring the Catholic faith together. I went and had an incredible confession with a guy uh, I knew from high school. Uh, called him up, Eddie Baby, never called him father, was Eddie Baby. Said, hey, Eddie Baby, listen, this just happened to me. I need confession. He goes, I got you, brother. I go to his church the most amazing experience, Eddie. We walked the stations of the cross. We stopped at each station 
and he told me the different sins that I could have committed, did I want to talk about what is common to hear, because I hadn't been to confession since freshman year of high school or something. I didn't know what I was doing. And so we walked this whole church, no lights on the church, just candles. We're walking each station. And he's telling me what God went through, what Jesus went through. And then he's talking to me about sins. And by the time we got into the booth, by the time we got into that confessional, the two of us were sobbing, sobbing. It was the most powerful thing I have ever felt in my life. That mercy, that forgiveness, that lifting off me of all that crap I carried, it was an incredible experience. And then Kim got into RCIA. And we went through that process together. And she came into the church. And Eddie Baby married us. Are you serious? Yeah. It was... It's 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 nothing short of miraculous, right? This is all miracles, ladies and gentlemen, that we can chalk up to all kinds of other things. But the bottom line is me staying married to her for all, her staying married to me for all those years was and is, remains a miracle. And, and all these little um, nudges that God gave us all the way. And sometimes, like we were talking about before we started recording, those two-by-fours that he hit me in the head with, like when we had that conversation over dinner, um, that that is a miracle, guys. These things are happening in our families, in our communities, in our parishes, every day. We just, our minds chalk them up to something else. But let's see them for what they really are, God's hand in our life, working. So um, my dad was not a great dad, but he was an incredible grandfather, incredible grandfather. And so we became very, very close. And, and here's another miracle. That's a miracle in and of itself. Um, so he moved from California to Florida when he retired. So he's much closer to us. And so we would see each other more, more often. And, and he would uh, pay for vacations with the family to get to see the grandkids. And we would all get together and have a great time. And uh, he was living with this woman for forever, 20 plus years, Um 30 years probably at that point. And um, I get a phone call from, from the girl, the lady he's living with. And uh, she says, Hey, uh, Jimmy, you know, your dad's in the hospital. He's really not doing well. And uh, the doctor said, you need to get down here. So I jump on a flight. I get down to Florida and uh, walk into the hospital, go to the uh, intensive care unit where my dad is. And uh, he's hooked up on all kinds of machines. Uh, he looks horrible. And the doctor um, calls me out into the hallway and says, hey, I'm really glad you're here. You know, we've kind of done everything we can for your, for your dad. And um, we're just going to keep him comfortable now. We don't, we don't think there's anything else we can do. 
I said, wow, okay. Um, and I, I knew he was sick, uh, struggling with cancer. He had had a couple heart attacks. He wasn't in great health. Um, but I didn't know it was that bad. So I go in and I'm talking to my father and he, he's got just like a task list. This is what I want my funeral to be like. This is what we're going to do. There's going to be no wake. I want to be cremated. He just gives me the whole list. And he says, you know, I don't care what uh, his lady friend wants. This is what I want. This is, you're my son. This is what you're going to do. Okay, no problem. I write everything down. And he says, okay, you can leave now. I said, I'm not going to leave, Pop. Um, I want you to do something for me. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. There's In my closet, on the floor, there's a shoebox of money. Just go there, take whatever you need. I said, Dad, that's not what I'm talking about. I want you to pray with me. He literally cursed me out and told me to get out. I said, nope, I'm not doing it. And I knelt down at the side of his bed and I started praying the chaplet of divine mercy. And in this hospital he was in, every ICU patient had a nurse assigned full time. So she's sitting on the other side of the wall. There's a little window looking in. She sees me on my knees praying. She comes in and she gets down and she goes, oh, I love the chaplet. So we're praying the chaplet together. Some random Filipino woman is walking by in the hallway and she hears us, may I pray with you? And she comes in. I'm like, oh my goodness, what just happened? So we pray the whole chaplet. And, and I think my dad's still angry with me, but I don't care because I'm praying with all I got for him. And I look up at my dad. I open my eyes and I look up and there's tears running down his face. And he says, Jimmy, get me a priest. Get me a priest. Brother, I'm sorry. I call a priest. He, <clears throat> Pardon me, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry. Um, he, uh, he receives the anointing of the sick. He receives the sacrament of reconciliation. He receives the Eucharist. And he goes home two weeks later. <laughs> he marries this woman in the church. And he lives for another two and a half years. <laughs> oh, man. She calls me. Uh, she says, Jimmy, your dad, it's not good, but he, he's refusing to go back to the hospital. He wants to stay home. I said, okay, I get it. He's fought hard. He's done everything. I fly down to Florida. My dad, you know, I'm six foot two, 200 pounds. My dad was a big guy like that too. Um, maybe he was 125 pounds, right? He was wasted away. And he was sleeping most of the time. He was exhausted. Uh, but the priest uh, in the parish had got to know them. And so he would come. Uh, every day and bring my dad the Eucharist. And it got so at the end, he could only take the littlest tiny sliver 
of the Eucharist because he couldn't swallow anything. And so it was uh, It was a Sunday. Um, the priest called and said, hey, I can be there about 2 o'clock. Uh, is your dad up for it? And uh, I said, yeah, I'm sure he will be sleeping right now. Just come. And the priest came, and uh, my dad couldn't sit up. So I picked him up, and I held him on my lap. He received the Eucharist, and I put him back to bed, and he went to sleep. You know what's amazing, Eddie? That wasn't for my dad. That was for me. Because I was so petrified that my dad would die without knowing Jesus. But he knew him. When it counted, he knew him. And, you know, that had just been, you know, I got another miracle story in my life that, that coming back to the church, I went to a Christmas party um, when my daughter, my daughter had just gotten married not too long before and, and she had gotten pregnant with twins. And I go to this Christmas party and I meet this guy and he says, hey, what do you know about Padre Pio? And I said, uh, he's a priest, I assume. He goes, yeah, he was a priest. He was, a, uh, he's a saint. He, I'm like, oh, wow, cool. So he says, you know, he also had stigmata. And I was like, oh, like the movie. And he goes, yeah, except real. <laughs> and he said, and, and by the way, I, I'm one of the keepers of the relics here in the United States. And I just so happened to have Padre Pio's glove with me. Would you like to pray? Here I am, six foot two, probably, you know, one of the best points in my life. I was in shape, 225 pounds, a martial arts instructor. I grabbed my wife because I'm chicken. I'm like, I don't know what this guy means. We're going to pray with some glove. There's a saint's <laughs> blood on it. I don't know what's it. You got to come with me, honey. This is what the heck is going on? So we go into this other room and the and the guy the guy puts the glove in my hand and he puts his hand over mine and he starts praying and he's praying like I've never heard anybody pray. I mean, you know, he's praying like a Protestant, right? He is calling on God and he's talking to him and he's praising him and I'm like, "What is happening?" And he goes, "What do you need to pray for, Jim?" And I said, well, let's let's pray for my kids. And so he goes into this whole prayer for my children. It's beautiful. I didn't know you could pray like that. I thought it was kind of cool. And he looks at me dead in the eyes, and he goes, no, that's not it. He takes the glove, and he puts it on my forehead. The next thing I know, I open my eyes. I'm looking at the ceiling. I fainted when he put the glove on my forehead. Now I'm freaked out. Like, what? What? This is crazy. Where's my wife? Like, I want to go home. I don't know. I fainted. Something's wrong. He goes, don't worry. That just happens. Don't worry about it. God did what he needed to do. Whatever you needed, you got. I don't know what it is, but you got it. I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> 
So we go home. I'm talking about it. I don't understand any of this stuff. I don't understand this kind of praying over people. I don't get it. And my daughter comes to our house with her husband, hysterical. The doctors tell her the babies in her womb have twin-to-twin -twin syndrome, which means both babies are sharing one placenta. So one baby is going to die, and one baby is going to be severely handicapped mentally uh, because they're just not getting enough nutrition. So the only option is you have to abort one of those babies. You pick the baby, the baby on the left or the baby on the right. She's hysterical. I can't do it. I, I, I'm not killing my baby. I, out of nowhere, I get a phone call. Hey, um, from the guy with the glove. Hey, I understand you're living in Georgia now. Yes, I'm in Georgia. There's a, um, there's a church down there. I don't know how far it is from you that has Padre Pio's habit. You should go check it out. I tell him what's going on. He goes, okay, you must go. Check it out. This is not, why else would I call you out of the blue? I haven't spoken to you in years. Like, okay. So I call up the priest. He's a guy from Jersey. He hears my accent. I hear his accent. We start bantering back and forth. He goes, of course, come on down. Come Saturday. I got an early morning mass, and then we can venerate the relic. So we drive. It's about two hours away from where we are. We go to this little church. It's a Chaldean Catholic church, uh, Eastern Rite. He's a married priest. Nice guy. I walk in. I see him. I say, uh, good morning, Father. We spoke on the phone. I'm here to venerate the relic. Um, you know, it's in this big case up on a wall. And uh, he goes, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Again, God teach me, I'm ready to lose my temper. I don't care that he's a priest. My daughter needs this. I'm going to punch you in the head. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So he gets a ladder. He goes up. He takes the, the, the habit out of the case. He wraps it around my daughter's belly. And he gets on his knees. His forehead is pressed right up against her belly. And he is praying, begging God to heal those babies, begging him. I've never heard a priest scream and pray like that in my life. Then they feed us lunch. It was an incredible, beautiful Saturday. We're all crying. She goes to the doctor on Monday, Eddie. They send her to three different facilities because they believe the machines are broken. There's two placentas. You can't make this stuff up, brother. You can't. You can't make this stuff up. Now, yes, I could come up with all, you know, the first time they did it, the machine was broken. What I, I don't even care if there's scientific explanations. If we didn't go do that, we wouldn't have seen the miracle. So look for the miracles, ladies and gentlemen. They're there all the time. 
Eddie baby, you're my new Eddie baby. Eddie baby, you are a miracle, brother. The fact that we're sitting here talking, it's a miracle. It is. And I'm here after all the crazy crap I did is a miracle. This is the beauty of the Catholic faith. Every day we are in the presence of miracles. When we go to mass and Jesus is there with us, fully, 100% in the bread and the wine. That is now Jesus. You don't ask for miracles. They're there. Just Amen. be open. Beautiful. Beautiful. My goodness. Oh, and the thing with your father, I have to say, you know, there's the blessing, obviously, when he says, get me a priest. But the unbelievable blessing to even be on a, at that time, <clears throat> it's viewed as the as, as his deathbed. Yep. Many people don't get that opportunity. <laughs> so just by virtue of him having that time with his son, when he thinks that he's about to pass, that doesn't happen to everyone. Right. So there's a blessing there on top of it to even have the opportunity, you know, as opposed to a car goes in front of you. Yep. And you're going 70 miles an hour and you say, okay, my life is about to end. And that's the end of that story, right? So that's probably why it impacts me even more when I think about, you know, for him to even have that opportunity for you to have that moment of stubbornness and, and beautiful stubbornness. <laughs> I'm kneeling. And then for the nurse. <laughs> it's crazy. It's I mean, crazy. It's what? crazy. It's you absolutely can't stuff up. It's, you know, Here's the thing that that coming back to the faith um, later in life, I guess, a little bit. Um, would it have been better if I stayed faithful? I'm sure. I'm sure it would have. But God uses everything. All my mistakes, all my brokenness, all my sinfulness, all my arrogance, all my everything. He uses that. And then what does he do with it? He makes it holy. So that stubbornness, that boldness, that all came from my arrogance when I was younger. Except now I don't do it for me. Yes. Now I do, like, like my boss had that bravery. Unbelievable. To say those things to me, that was incredible courage. I could have made all kinds of trouble for him in the company. We're a big government contractor. You can't be doing that stuff. He didn't care because my soul was more important. And so I want to ask the, 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 the ladies and gentlemen who are listening today, who is in your life right now that their soul needs to be more important? We are in Holy Week the most incredible time of the year. That person you haven't spoken to forever, call them up and tell them you love them because their soul's more important. Yep. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he uses all that. And that's the other thing. You could spend the rest of your life saying, what if I had not done that? Well, it's over. You did. Now what? 
Exactly. You know, you could spend the just let me go back. Let me see what God could have done. Why don't you open your eyes and see what he's doing? Amen. Right? Amen. And 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 your experience with confession, I've never heard of kind of this stations examination of conscience. I've never heard anything even similar to that. And 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 Eddie Baby, my friend, uh, he he had never done it before. He 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 didn't even know where it came from. He just he felt just compelled to felt do it. Compelled and, to do it, and 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 it was incredible because I knew this guy, and this guy really knew me. Yeah. So there was no BS. Yeah. With, with this guy, he's like, yeah, right. And wow, how incredible for my first confession back to be able to just do that and. And to to really have the time before I went in to the to the miracle box, uh, there's a really cool DVD actually on our website, Eddie, called the Miracle Box. Uh, you should check it out. It's okay. it's a really good uh, it's a really good resource about confession. But to be able to have the time with a guide before the actual sacrament was incredible. Just. Yeah. Yeah, you could never ever replicate anything close to that. Clearly, you could. So, once in a lifetime experience. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the website. Maybe that's a good segue into what it is that you do for the church now. And and you know, feel free to talk about the media uh, component of that. Yeah, I would. I would love to have all the listeners be able to to follow you in that regard. Well, brother, I appreciate that. So, you know, after after uh, decades in sales and marketing, um, I I made the biggest mistake of my life. I I bought a restaurant, and I was convinced it was God's will. I was so convinced it was a hundred percent God's will, and I was so convinced I had my spiritual director convinced, and. Trinity, New York Deli. And we, you know, it really was going well when we first bought this place. And we named it Trinity as a as a, a nod to our increased faith and, and coming back to the church. And New York, obviously, that's where I grew up. The deli was in Connecticut. And everything was going well. I would have clergy in there. We would have ask a question. People could call in with questions for the clergy. If they had the best question, we would give them a sandwich. We were having fun, you know, that the local radio station was coming to broadcast. The local paper was in there all the time. We were having a great time. And the state closed the road in front of the store to put in new water and sewer lines. <laughs> and we lost everything. My employees always got paid. So they were getting paid out of my retirement accounts. They were getting paid out of my savings. They were getting paid because I took a second mortgage, blah, blah, blah. And I remember I was standing in the store. Uh, this is God's two by four again. Standing there a Thursday afternoon. I was the only one in there. It was raining out. And I, I had to drive over a bridge to get home uh, over a little river. And I was, I'm one of those guys. I fight with God. I argue with him. You wrestle. And I'm yeah. I wrestle with him. Exactly. Exactly. I'm wrestling with God. 
And I'm arguing back and forth. And I said, you know, I know I can't commit suicide because I don't want to go to hell. But I also know, Jesus, you could put your hand on that steering wheel and take me right over the side of that bridge. And my wife will be taken care of. My kids will be taken care of. Their college will be taken care of. I have a good life insurance policy. And I'm going back and forth. My phone rings, and it is uh, this, this group of uh, priests um, would see me when I would speak at men's conferences about my story. And they would always say, hey, you know, Jim, you should come to work for us. And I would laugh and say, Father, you can't afford me. My phone rings, and it's this priest who's been trying to get me to come work for their order. And uh, he says, listen, I have an opening, but you got to start Monday. I said, okay, what time? You see, God didn't drive me off a bridge. He actually gave me another bridge. And that's how I got into nonprofit work. And, and I stayed working for this order of priests for some time. Uh, and then they had some issues and I left. And for the past eight years now, I've been working with Integrity Restored. And we are a ministry that works to um, really educate, train, and equip uh, clergy, families, and individuals how to deal with the pornography scourge in our culture today. Uh, it is one of the, if not the fastest growing addiction in the United States. Uh, the average age of exposure to hard, hardcore pornography is now 8 to 10 years old, depending on the study you cite. And here's the thing. If we want to talk about the new evangelization, that's the big buzzword in the church, right? Let's evangelize. Let's evangelize. Well, you cannot evangelize somebody when they are stuck in the throes of pornography usage. You cannot, because they are going to be completely distracted from anything of God to feed that addiction. Yeah, we can go through the motions. I deal with people all the time. They are daily communicants. But in their addiction, they have no relationship with Jesus because they believe they are so bad, even God can't love them. You see, an addict's core belief is if anybody knew me, they couldn't love me. Even God. So that's why I'm so passionate about this work. And we, you know, we have uh, online programs uh, for individuals. We have online programs for wives who are suffering from betrayal trauma due to their husband's pornography usage. And, and the big thing God has really put on my heart recently is training clergy. If we can train one priest, we transform a parish. If we can train a diocese of priests, we transform a geographic region. And if we can train a world of priests, we actually do transform the world. You see, this is the most commonly confessed thing in the confessional every Saturday. But these guys aren't trained in seminary how to deal with it on a practical level. 
and telling somebody, say three Hail Marys and don't do it again. Well, I know from personal experience, that doesn't work. What are the practical things that our priests can be offering us in the sacrament and then outside of the sacrament to help that community recover? You see, when you when you heal somebody who's struggling with this addiction, it's not only that individual, but it's his family and it's his friends and it's his workplace. Here's an interesting thing you may not know. 80% of pornography is consumed between the hours of 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. And when you talk, when you talk to businesses, they say, well, not my company. That's impossible. Yeah. We have it all locked down. Yep. Do you take everybody's personal cell phone when they walk on site or they're in their car? No. That's when people, I don't say guys anymore because this is increasingly becoming a female problem as well. That's when people are viewing pornography because it's difficult to do it when you get home with the kids and the spouse. Yeah, everyone talks about nighttime as the time of darkness, really. Um, well, and nighttime can be a big trigger uh, for a lot of people. You know, you have your phone with you in the bedroom or your tablet or whatever, and you start out, um, you know, innocently enough. And you even start out saying, I'm not going to look. I'm not. I'm not going to do it. But you jump on Facebook and then you go to Instagram and then maybe it's TikTok. And then you get on this slippery slope that is designed to keep you online. And those images are going to become more and more graphic, the things that you see. And when you're a porn addict, seeing a woman in a bikini dancing can be enough of a trigger that you're gone. You're going full scale. I need more. My brain needs more dopamine. So there's, you know, here at Integrity Restored, I think we do a really incredible thing in that we marry what we call the three pillars. And those three pillars kind of inform everything we do. The first is strong science. So the science behind what's happening in your brain how an addiction process works. And so why do you need therapy and counseling to break free of this? So the strong science therapy and counseling. The second pillar is an increase in the spiritual life. Frequent reception of the sacraments and spiritual direction is a must. And you need to know that that spiritual director and your counselor, coach, or therapist can work together because there's a spiritual component to this battle as well as the scientific component. And then finally, the third pillar is community and accountability. We can't do this alone. We need a community of support with us and you need an accountability partner in this recovery journey. And my recommendation is the accountability partner is not your wife. It's not her job to be your cop. You need a guy who's going to say to you, dude, you're off the rails, brother. What's going on? So that's our three pillars. The strong scientific counseling and therapy, increase in the spiritual life and spiritual direction, and then finally, community and accountability. And I think those three pillars really are 
the basis or should be the basis for your, any recovery plan. And I guarantee you, Eddie, I guarantee you, a great percentage of folks listening today are struggling or love someone who is. I say to people all the time, if you yourself are not struggling right now, you absolutely know someone and you love someone who is struggling. So we need to take this conversation out of the darkness and absolutely. into the light. And yeah. that's why uh, Integrity Restored exists. Fantastic. Well said. So what is the future aim just to keep doing what you're doing and reach more and more parishes, more and more people? How how are you looking at the, the long-term plan? Wow. So, um, you know, I'm one of those guys that dreams big. So our next Next, uh, what, next so restaurant is the next idea, right? You're gonna never again, never again. If I even mention it, you have a hundred percent permission to hit me over the head with a bat. Trinity bagels, come on, come on. No, now. thank you, brother. I will never ever do that business again. Um, no, what I want to, uh, what my dream for this ministry is, uh, we're going to be launching an online clergy training program. Uh, right now, we do in-person trainings with priests, and we've got like 300 priests trained throughout the country. That's awesome. It needs to be thousands. So we're launching an online training program, uh, probably in the late third quarter of this year. So please, ladies and gentlemen, pray for that. Uh, there is a lot of obstacles. The devil does not want this to happen. And so please keep us in your prayers. And then from there, I'd really like to launch a um, a recovery tool using those three pillars: sure. um, the science, the spirituality, and the community aspect. And so that's my my hope and dream. And look, we need more people in this fight. So I need Integrity Restored to be able to be self sustaining and grow, so that we could bring on people. Um, like Eddie <laughs> to Eddie to baby. really Eddie baby to join us in this battle um, because we can't do it alone. So we need your help. Yeah. Well said. So make sure you send any, any links, Jim, that you have that are up and running to make sure that all the listeners know uh, of ways that they can be in contact, potentially support the ministry. I mean, this is fantastic Amen. work and you're absolutely right. It's all based on bringing things into the light, uh, which we've spoken about at length. And the other thing is those miracles that you brilliantly brought up earlier, uh, those th that type of thing is happening on a daily basis with people that are coming out of darkness. Those are miracles every day. Everyone. And a lot of people, when they have that conversion, that that change of heart, however it happens, the Lord does what he does, um, that often prompts not just, hey, I'm going to go to confession. It prompts a new devotion because, like in your case, you just come face to face with the reality of what you've been doing, how you've failed. Yep. And then when the Lord shines a light on it, you hopefully are just propelled to say, I give more, I've got to give you what I can, because I've been always looking inward. 
Now it's time to look outward. So, and and and, it, and it's so funny because people ask me all the time. They you know they they speak to me like all of a sudden now I've got it all together. Uh, no, I am still screwed up. I'm still a mess. I am still a work in progress. And God does not wait for me to be perfectly ready. That's and right. He's not waiting for you to be perfectly ready. That's right. That's a lie from the devil. Yep. You know when we'll be perfect, God willing, one day when we, for me, make it to purgatory. I want the last seat in purgatory. I'm happy. Uh, I, you know, that's, that's so real. Uh, yeah. That's so honest. Yeah. But, but the truth of the matter is that's the only time we're going to be perfect. Yeah. So we need to stop waiting and just start doing. Stop looking at ourselves and our own failures and our own brokenness and our own wounds and start looking at other people that we can help. God gave us those wounds and that brokenness for a reason. He doesn't let it lie there and do no good. He's going to use it for good if you allow him to. Great, great point. Yeah, you cannot sit around and say, well, I'm not qualified. We all say that. I'm not qualified. Who am I? As if you're not the only one. Everyone's saying that. It's time to just do something. Get out, help someone. And you're absolutely right. When you are so focused inward, right, as I experienced for many years, when you get out and you speak to other people and you hear their struggles, you you get to know people, there are things that break in a in a beautiful way inside that that I don't even know how to say it. It's it's when you step out and you can see other humans and pray with them and speak with them, things change in your heart. It's just how it works. And we're meant to be in community. And I didn't get that for the longest time. Yeah. yeah. I you've done mission trips, right, Eddie? No. You've never done a mission trip. All right. No, so but thanks so, for assuming. Yeah. That's good. I, well, I did assume you've done it. You know, you you Protestants. I mean, I, I'm sorry, uh Catholic guy now. Um so you go on a mission trip, right? And it's the funniest experience because we're going there to serve them, right? We're gonna yeah. be giving to them every mission trip I've ever been on in my life. The opposite has happened. The exact opposite. These people that I felt so sorry for, they served me. I'm going to tell you another story. I, I went on a father and son mission trip. I used to organize them every year um, to Angola State Prison in Louisiana. Used to be the most dangerous prison in America. And it's an old school Louisiana prison where if you go there, you're not getting out. There's no good behavior. There's not, If you're sentenced to 20 years or to life, that's it. Once you're sentenced, you're done. And so I take my son there, and we're on death row. And I'm walking with my Bible. I'm, I'm going to pray with these men, and I'm going to help them because they're facing death and the likelihood of anything changing, you know, a presidential pardon, maybe. So it's a long shot. We're walking down the aisle and none of them really want to talk to me. They're pulling the blankets over their head. They're like, oh, here's another religious guy going to tell me all about Jesus, whatever. And so I catch one guy's eye 
and he's glaring at me. And I said, would you like to pray with me? He says, I don't know how to pray. And I said, okay, well, I do. So I open up the Bible and I start reading some scripture verses that I had prepared for these guys. And he goes, hold on a second. He said, yeah, 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 you're telling me all these nice words, but let me tell you my understanding. It's not just the words. It's what we do. And I've done a lot of bad things. But I have the opportunity now. He says to my son, he says, boy, step out from behind your father. I'm not going to hurt you. He kneels down and he looks my son right in the face. He says, you promised me one thing. You are never, ever going to try drugs. Not even once. You're not going to try it. If anybody's using it, you run away. Because that's what started me on the path. You make me that promise, boy. My son's shaking. This guy was huge, jack, tats all over the place. Scary individual. Yes, sir. I'll never. I'll never. He stands up and he looks at me. He says, I've done one good thing. Now I can tell you, Jesus, at least I did one good thing. Whoa. They called me the night he was killed. He asked to speak to me and my son before he died. My son has never forgotten that guy. Was I qualified to do that? Not even close. Did I even know what the heck I was doing? No. But the Holy Spirit took over that encounter. And that man was right. That wasn't for him. Yeah. How amazing, ladies and gentlemen. Right? But the one thing I've always had, I'll get out there. That's what God's asking you to do. Just get out there. Yeah. Hold somebody's hand. Have a conversation. Pray with them. If you can't pray with them, don't pray with them. Just be there with them. The ministry of presence is so important. That's good. Ministry of presence. Wow. Jim, my goodness, it's too much. I uh, Some of these conversations just, it's too, too much, too beautiful. Um, anything you want to end with? Anything else you want to tell the listeners? So I'd, I'd really appreciate you guys um, checking out our website, sharing our information. Um, we, we just had uh, Eddie Baby, my new Eddie Baby, uh, on our podcast for two episodes. And uh, on his second episode, um, you know, we need bells and buzzers going off. We just hit 100,000 downloads, my brother. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Eddie, uh, for being on the show. And um, check out our podcast, ladies and gentlemen, and share it with people. Because I promise you, in your family, in your community, in your workplace, and sitting next to you on Sunday in your parish, are people who are struggling right now yep. with this addiction. Yep. Amen. Jim, thank you so much for your time. God bless you and your ministry. And again, everyone, please share the videos. Please get the word out. Um, and I'll just end it there. Until next time, take care and God bless you.